0: I'm from Chicago, and so it was weird calling a place that I didn't know exists uh, six years ago my home. I really love this place. I embrace this place. And I only know about this place because I went to Greenville College, and so um, Greenville is another place I like to call home. But uh, anyway, so to the sermon. Today, I don't know, like, if you know anything about me, but, like, I love sports, I love my family, and I love my friends. But another thing that I just, like, love and I just found so fascinating is kids. I think kids are some of the most fascinating beings in the world. And so I work at a university up north where I work with college students all the time and I get summers off. And so I don't know how, and I promise I didn't do this on purpose because like, I thought this summer was gonna be the summer that I finally just like had off. Like last summer I had off, but I ended up taking a job at Durley the year before. I ended up working at a youth group um, and like being an intern for a youth group I ended up working with um, the children's ministry and things like that. High school I was broke. College I was broke, so I took any job that was available to me. And a lot of the summer jobs entail daycares because like they have their regular daycares and when school's out they have more kids in daycares. And so literally for the last like seven to eight years I've spent my summer working with kids. And like it's like you know, it's super weird because kids are super weird. Um, you just never find, like, two kids just aren't the same. They always have, like, some weird fascination. And, like, as we grow up, our weird fascination turn to other weird fascination. But we'll get into that later because, like, kids are just weird. Um, and so this summer, I wasn't going to do anything. I was just going to embrace, you know, be- being free and different things like that. But I was so bored at home. Like, I just couldn't, I couldn't figure it out. You know, I take, I t- uh, I'm a student as well, and uh, this summer I get to take online classes and so like, I thought that if I take three online classes, nine credit hours, um, that I would be solid, but I just wasn't. I'm just not that kind of guy who just like, you know, sits around and just like, hangs out. I want to be that kind of guy, I'm working at it, but I just can't be that guy. And so I end up taking a job teaching golf at a golf course um, for this camp. And, like I said, I love sports, but, like, I might offend someone. I don't think golf's a sport. Um, so... <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, I began working at this, I began working at this, so I'm like a, I'm more of a counselor than a golf course, because, like, when you work with four to ten-year-old girls, four to ten-year-old girls don't really want to play golf, unless it's from a golf pro or their dad. And so, I'm working at this golf course, and, like, it was, you know, it was 98 degrees outside one day. And so the golf professional, the guy who I work under essentially, he said it was too hot to play golf, and so let's play kickball. It doesn't make sense to me either, but we play kickball. <laughs> so we <laughs> went outside We went outside to go play kickball, um, and like I said, we work with four to ten-year-olds. And so we have three newly five-year-olds, so they were four about three weeks ago, and within the span of the last three weeks, they turned five. And so we work with three five-year-olds, and like, they're probably, like I said, they're the weirdest kids in the camp. And so um, they don't want to play kickball anymore. Um, Brody, Avery, and Sebastian. Okay, Sebastian's a kid that wants to do everything, but he gets bored after five minutes. Brody's the kid that, I mean, he he can't do anything physically. You know, he's like, he's just one of those kids that just weren't physically gifted. Like, he came out of the wound, and he was just like, I can't play sports. That's how it was. That's how he's made. And so Brody, you know, we gave, we gave Brody the pity kick. And so um, Brody, first, I don't know how physics works, but like Brody kicked the ball. The ball went backwards. But we told Brody to run around the bases anyway. Brody went straight to second, and he went back home. That's Brody. All right. Avery, <laughs> Avery, Avery, she's the cutest ginger redhead with the sweetest soul in the world, but she wants no part of sweat. Okay, she <laughs> wants nothing to do with sweat. She, she the first day, the first couple of days, um, we went outside and like she wanted no part of sweat and she cried because Sebastian has this Yeti cup and apparently the cool things about Yeti cups are like they keep your water super cold. And so Avery, at the end of the day, two weeks ago, she sat on the floor and she bawled so her mom could get her a Yeti cup because when her water went outside, her water got too warm and she wanted her water cold. That's Avery. And so Sebastian, this is Sebastian's story. Like Those other two kids are cool and like they're super cute, nothing against them, but like Sebastian's my favorite and so like when you go home, remember this is Sebastian's story. And so it's about the second or third inning, they decided they didn't want to play anymore. Um, especially after Brody kicked the ball backwards, ran the second and ran back home. They decided they didn't wanna play anymore. And so we have about um, 22, 23 kids out here playing and about three adults, okay? Um, the other two adults, they don't even, they don't like working with kids. All right, let's just put it that way. They're the, they're golf guys. They don't really like working with kids. And so like, they're kinda out there to play kickball. Even one guy, Brendan, you don't know who Brendan is so I can say his same. So it was one time Brendan, uh, he's like kind of competitive, but he's like, I'm the coolest guy on the planet, and so I'm going to kick the ball as far as I can. This kid smokes a line drive at a six-year-old. Judge Brendan now, okay? And so Sebastian, Avery, and Brody, they go up to the side under the shade because, again, Avery doesn't like uh, being hot. She doesn't like sweat. She wants nothing to do with it. She even brought a towel last week. She brought a towel. She brought to sweat right here. Okay, but, like, so they go off to the side, and everyone's playing. So we're switching off and different things like that. And I see Brody, Avery, and Sebastian walk to the country club. And so we're a solid 300, 400 yards away from the country club. And so when I saw this, naturally, I screamed their names. Because like they're just going off by themselves, like they're adults or something like that. And it was super, super weird to me. All right, and so the direct, and so all this plays out. They were upset for some reason. Like I get why they were upset, but they were like really upset. Okay, so they walked to the country club um, as a group this time. And so we take all the kids and we walk back to the country club we go to the kids' room, and now all the other kids are upset because they have sunscreen on their water bottles. And so the thing about sunscreen is, is that apparently like, when it's sprayed on plastic, it just stays there. And especially when it gets in a crack, it just stays there. So again, it's a country club. These kids are <laughs> really rich. All right. And so these kids have a lot of money. All of them have a lot of money. Um, because like, not to get into the logistics of what it takes to be a country club member, but like, they have a lot of money. And so these water bottles are really expensive. And so all these kids are really, really upset because my parents are gonna get upset, this person's gonna get upset, and different things like that. And so Linda, the director of the country club, I mean, not the country club, the director of the, the camp, she pulls Brody Sebastian and Avery aside and she's like, hey, like, what was going on? Because like, these kids are upset, all right? These are like the 10, nine, eight year olds. There's like this massive gap between the students who are in this camp. Um, but like, these kids are upset. And so Brody and Avery were just like, this is Sebastian's idea. And Sebastian, okay, Sebastian's also the cutest little kid ever. Alright, so everyone's like, this is, the, this is Sebastian's idea. And so Sebastian's like, I'll own it. You know, and it was like kind of weird, because he's five, he's like, I'll own it. And he's like, yeah, we were making soup. <laughs> you're, making, you're making soup. And so they decided to make soup. They said that they needed logs, and so they took all the water bottles to make logs. But then Sebastian had the idea that you can't make a fire with all this water. So they took all the water bottles and dumped all the water out, and then they made logs. And then they said they needed something to spark the fire because they didn't know how to start a fire. So they took the sunscreen, and they sprayed all the water bottles so that they could start a fire. And then they said... Okay, now we need matches to start the fire. (laughs) And so Sebastian stood over and he clapped, which makes sense because when I stood over there, the only reason I noticed them was because Sebastian was clapping so much. Then they got bored and said, We need a pot and we need more ingredients for our soup. And that's when they walked to the country club (laughs) to pick up more soup. And it fascinates me so much, this story, because, like, okay, I was never upset. Um, the other counselors and the director, they were super upset because, like, now they have to explain to all these parents why these overly expensive water bottles, um, have so much sunscreen spray on them. (laughs) But, like, I was never upset because, like, you think about, this is the things that you expect kids to do, right? Like, not ruin a $30 water bottle. But, like, these are things that you expect kids to do. You expect kids to have imagination and you expect kids to embrace their imagination. And so today, we're going to talk about the rainbow soup, and we're going to talk about um, why it's so important to remember what children do um, and embrace Jesus the same way. So let's pray. Dear Lord, help us embrace rainbow soup. Amen. All right, and so (laughs) we're going to— if you're opening your Bibles, um, open it up to Luke 18. That's where we're going to spend most of our time. Um, If you don't like Bible hopping— Later, we'll spend some of our time in James, and we may potentially spend some of our time in Mark 9. And so, um, if you wanna mark your Bible up for future references, um, James 4 is what we'll be later, but for the, most of the to- for the most of the time, we'll be here in Luke 18. And so, Luke 18, naturally, Jesus is teaching his people. Um, and in this scenario, Um, Jesus teaches and he gives this parable about the Pharisee and the tax collector. There's this Pharisee who's like, okay, these are all the things that I'm done. I pray every week. Um, I do good deeds. Um, I come to church faithfully. I do this, I do that, I do this, I do that. And the tax collector is just like... Jesus, I need you, I need God, I need someone to save me right now. Meanwhile, there's this tax collector who's done all these things. And the weird thing about this is that we look we look at this through the lens of the gospel, um, because, like, Jesus died, Jesus provided free salvation. Like, at this time when Jesus is speaking currently, um, Jesus speaks through metaphors just like, like, I'm enough, like, I'm the bread. Like if you, once you have me, like you'll never starve again, and different things like this. Once you have a drink of me, like giving this water analogy. Once you have a drink of me, you'll never thirst again, and different things like that. But like in this context right here, there's this Pharisee who's done all these deeds. Jesus understands this, and there's this sinner tax collector who, amongst the people, they're the sinners of the sinners. You know, they fit in that. You know, they fit in that corner. Just like these people probably aren't going to heaven, and these people are. The Pharisees fit that mold. But like Jesus, like Jesus understood like this covenant that the Pharisees and this tax collector was a part of um, was essentially a covenant of the law. It's just like, you do these things and you're good. That's what, that's what the law covenant was. It was, just like, it was just like a give and take kind of thing. Um, but Jesus explains why the Pharisee doesn't get in and the tax collector gets in. Because like we see people all the time just like, this person is a great person. Or this person is a great, this person is a great Christian. Or this person has, or we're like we envy people's relationship with Christ and different things like this. But like this tax collector, who's a sinner, has one moment in which he's saying like, God embrace me, God like take me, take my sins and different things like that. Where this Pharisee has had all these moments, and you're looking at it because like honestly, if we end where the tax coll- where the Pharisee brags about himself, in my opinion, the Pharisee's good. All right, like I get. Like, once we keep reading and things like that, like, I understand it. Like, it makes so much sense. But, like, at the same time, it really doesn't make sense until I read Luke 18:15 to 17, which is where we're going now. Starting at verse 15. Now they were bringing in even infants to him that he might touch them. And then the disciples saw it. They rebuked them. But Jesus called to him, saying, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs to the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, let's pay attention to this, whosoever not receive the kingdom of God, like a child, shall not enter. And so this is a super weird thing because like a few chapters before and in all the other other texts, Jesus is talking to um, like the Pharisees, the Sadducees, all these great scholars and like they're arguing back and forth and Jesus calls them children. And so, like, this is, kind, this is really weird once you, like, begin to, like, unpack. It's just like, so he called them children here, but then he's saying, let's allow children to come into the kingdom of God. Let's allow children to um, touch Jesus and different things like that. And so I kind of get why the disciples were super confused is because, like, literally, a few chapters earlier, Jesus rebuked them and, by calling them children. And so now as children come to Jesus, he's embracing them with open arms in rebuke of the disciples and things like that. And so it's just like this super weird scenario for the disciples, like think about the disciples, think about Peter, because we all know how confused and free Peter was with his mouth and how like Peter probably felt like this is the one thing that I got right. And then he gets it wrong again. And so like, all these dudes are protecting Jesus. And, like, if you read John, Jesus was stoned so many times. So, like, you can, he was almost stoned so many times that you can kind of see the danger that Jesus was facing. And so, like, when the disciples are, like, telling these children to go away, during this time, the children were, like, at the bottom of the totem pole. because like they didn't really have anything to offer. And, like, to be honest, children don't really have anything to offer now. Like, we think about it, like, children just, like, they have, like, this happiness and this joy that they bring around them, but it's because, like, we love children. But like, if you think about it, children don't really have much to offer. And so that's what the disciples understood. And so the disciples kept the children away. But in this scenario, Jesus embraces the children with open arms. And so what we have here is three things. We have a promise, we have a warning, and we have a welcome. So if you're taking notes, you can take those three things, write those three things down. It's tough, because like Mark, in the parallel of Mark, Mark tells the same story, so does Matthew in the parallel of Mark. Um, Jesus sa- the, Mark says that Jesus was indignant. I don't really know what indignant means, so I googled it. Um, and indignant essentially means that Jesus was frustrated with the unfairness. Kind of what you have with like the civil rights movements and different things like that. Jesus was upset with the unfairness. But um, they paint a picture, I think it's Matthew that paints a picture, that Jesus was frustrated... Um, that, like, this is something, like, if this scenario doesn't happen, this is something that probably wouldn't have been talked about in the Bible. Um, Because, like, if Jesus is saying that, like, you don't enter into the kingdom of God unless you um, receive it like a child, then this message is never spoken. Like, if these children aren't running, or if these people aren't bringing their children um, to Christ, this is something that's, like, not talked about. And so there's a frustration that occurs here, as well as the love and different things like that. And so the promise, Jesus makes a promise. Um, Jesus makes a promise. <laughs> i got to change the page. <laughs> I was so ready for that. I was just like, Jesus has a promise. Okay. Um, so Jesus has a promise. And so we'll just dive into Mark um, 9, 35, 7, 35 to 37, because like, we have to understand this one thing. Um, 35, and he sat down and he called the 12 and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all, and serve of all. Um, And he took a child, and he took a child and put him in the midst of them. Taking him in his arms, he said to them, whosoever receives one like such a child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me, receives not me, but him who sent me. And so naturally, Jesus is painting this picture again and saying that like, receive me like a child. And if you receive me like a child, receive me as God. I know I didn't say anything there, but like, you receive Christ, you receive God, and you receive the kingdom of God. And so the promise that we have in Luke 18 is the kingdom of God is received from those who receive Christ like a child. Like it's, it's one of those duh things because like I just said it five times. But like let's unpack it more. Let's like dig back into it because like this is so profound and it's kind of dangerous too is because like, if we don't understand what Jesus is saying here, if we just say like, okay, I need to receive God like a child, and we just walk away from it, there's a lot of danger in that. Because it's just like, children, the way children see Christ um, is different than the way adults see Christ. And that's fine, but like the way children receive things and the way adults receive things is super dangerous. Because if Jesus, if Jesus is saying, don't do this, and do this, then we're completely missing the point. Um, and there's a danger in the way we speak to people. There's a danger in our relationship with Christ, um, and there's even a danger in you know, even a danger in how Christ is impacting our lives. And so, um, what does this mean? Let's look at the observation of children. Like I said, they don't have anything to offer, um, and so when they come to Christ, or when they come, so like people who have kids, right? So when they come to you, they essentially come with open hands. Um, They don't have anything to offer. And we'll talk about that more later, but like they don't have anything to offer. Um, And so they're coming to Christ with open hands. They're coming to Christ with like this naiveness about the world, this naiveness of like, I need to be saved. Like someone needs to save children. They come seeking this security um, in who Christ is because like when you observe a newborn baby or people who've had newborn kids and things like that, um, like they need someone to hold them. They need someone not to drop them. They need someone um, to guide them. They need someone to essentially teach them how to crawl. Then they need someone to teach them how to walk. And then eventually they need someone to take them to school. They need someone to teach them things. They need someone to guide them um, so they don't go here or they don't go there because we only want you to go there because if you go here or there, it's super dangerous. Um, they need someone in their life to kind of like walk them through this thing we call life. They come with open hands. And it's so much different than adults um, because like as adult, I'm kind of an adult. I'm mostly an adult. Like, as adults, um, or even as teenagers, as adolescents, like, we begin to know so much about life that we don't need our parents anymore. Like, we begin to, like, stray away from our parents. We begin to, like, become and embrace, like, our own way of life and different things like that. Um, I mean, for parents, it's kind of scary, too, if, like, you have young kids. And, like, it's super scary for my mom. Because, like, I don't live at home anymore. And so, like, kind of a conviction that I had as I prepared this, is that, like, because I don't live at home anymore, I feel this freedom away from my parents. And so, like, not to scare anyone, because, like, I feel convicted about it. And so if you're a teen, don't do this. But, like, I just don't see my parents anymore. For three years, for four years, I was away at college. You know, it's kind of my excuse to be separate from my parents. And so I moved back close to home. I'm only about 45 minutes or an hour away from home. If you're in Chicago, Chicago traffic, you're about two hours away. But like, you know, (laughs) people who laugh have been to Chicago traffic. Um, And so like, I'm about two hours away from home. Like, I felt this freedom separate from my parents for so long. And I begin to embrace this, my own way of living, my own way of life. I begin to neglect some things that I value for so long. And so that's kind of the thing with, you know, being free and being separate from their parents and being an adult. I just embrace my parents differently than I embraced them when I was five years old, when I was four years old. It's just a different embrace. And it's like a needed embrace too, because like, if I was 40 and I was still living with my parents, would Bill let me stand up here? Probably not. Um, There's just like, there's just like this thing um, there's like this separation that comes as I embrace my parents. I love my parents a lot. Especially my mom and especially my dad. Wait, those aren't really parents. Especially my mom and especially my stepdad um, because like for so long my mom raised me as a single mom and as of recent my dad has like loved my mom so much that he's dealt with all the stuff that I put him through. And it's kind of like the same thing. Like, How do we embrace Christ like a child, even though we put Him through so much, even though we put God through so much? How do we constantly receive, how do we constantly receive Christ, like, with these open hands? Like, with this, um, with this naiveness about who God is? constantly, like Moses, right? In Exodus 33, like, God threatened to leave Moses, and Moses is just, like constantly begging God, begging God, begging God, like, please don't go, please don't go, please don't go. And like, if anyone in the Bible can say that they've seen the things that God has done, it was Moses. And so if anyone has found like the separation in God, it would be Moses, because like, Moses has experienced these things, Moses has like, with his hands, done these things, but it wasn't. That's like, the, that's like the perfect example of embracing God like a child. Because like, he didn't allow his experience um, to waver his embrace of who God was. And so, a question I have for myself, because like, I, don't, like, I don't know you guys' relationship with who Christ is and who God is and things like that, but the question that we have to ask ourselves is, are we embracing Christ like a child? Are we embracing Christ in a way that we constantly want to see like, these new experiences and these new things? Um, like and like another thing, like children just find children just find their identity in their parents, like I was at Walmart the other day, and like there're like these four seats, so when you walk into walmart there 's like the cash registers and there are like these four benches um they're like these four benches that people just sit in, you know, like the chairs when you walk into Kohl's or macy 's when you 're shopping with your wife or your girlfriend, like you go and you sit in those chairs you know it 's like a pity chair. It's a pity chair, because like you, <laughs> like you don't want to be where you want to be right now, so you sit down because like your legs are tired. You don't want to be in this moment. You just want to leave. And so like I call them the pity chairs because like if a grown man is sitting there and his wife is shopping, it's a pity chair. Like show the man pity. Give him a head, talk about sports or something like that. If you don't want to talk about sports, just walk away. But like it's a pity seat. But if we see a child right there, the first thing that we're asking is, where's is this kid's mom? All right. And so I was. <laughs> I forgot milk, okay? And so, like, the nice, the nice uh, bad guy, he was willing to run. I wasn't running. I was walking. I was going to restart the whole process over. But the bad guy was nice enough to go run and get the milk. And so the only, time, only thing I'm recognizing is, like, as this guy's gone, this kid is sitting in the pity seat. And so, like, naturally, I'm showing this kid pity. I'm just like, Hey, where's your mom? Because like he looks at And so like some people go over to the seat because they not want to stand in the line with their parents. This kid sat in the seat and he was almost in tears. And then of course, a Walmart worker asked him if, it, if everything's okay. And then he got the pity phone call. like, <laughs> Linda, your child is at Register 7. Please come pick him up now. <laughs> the pity phone call, the pity seat, and everything's like that. And so this kid found his identity in his mom, whom he was separated from, whom he was lost from. And so that's another cool thing about kids. And that's another, n- I wouldn't say nugget, because I'm not that smart. That's another takeaway from this lesson, is what Jesus is saying. He's just like, come to me with open hands, find your identity in me, um, and you'll receive the kingdom. All right? Pity sheet. Um, and then there's an excitement, like I talked about, just like not forgetting like our experiences in Christ and like who Christ is. But there's like this this weird excitement about it. Chicago is the greatest city in the world, all right. I can say this without bias. Chicago, that's a lie. Uh, Chicago is the greatest city in the world, and not like I embrace it as the greatest city in the world because it is and it's true. Um, but like when people come, my friends come from Southern Illinois or from California. They want to go and they want to see The Bean, which is not really called The Bean, but like, okay, it's called The Bean. People want to get deep dish pizza. People want to go to Millennium Park. People want to do this, all the touristy things. And so there's like this excitement, right? And then like, as a Chicago native, if the only thing I'm doing is going to The Bean, going to eat deep dish pizza, I'll 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 lose my embrace for Chicago. I lose that, there's there's not an excitement there anymore. There's not an excitement when I go to Millennium Park. Or even St. Louis, people think St. Louis is a cool city. If you're constantly going to the Arch, if you wanna go to the city museum, if you wanna, what is it called, Emo's? If you wanna go to Emo's Pizza. Like, you just lose, you just lose such an excitement because when you go there and you see people and you take tourists and and things like that, like you look and you talk to people who are from St. Louis, who have been, who have seen these things a million times, they just kinda lose their excitement for it. They just kinda, you know, it's like it was cool when I was seven. You know? The Sydney Museum was cool when I was five. But like, there's an excitement when it comes to like being a child, when it comes to, again, embracing who God is. And so like, there's the promise. Embrace me like a child and you'll receive the kingdom of God. But then there's the warning. And the warning is, which inverts the promise, it's like, here's a promise, here's a warning. Refuse to receive Christ like a child, and you'll refuse, you'll be refused the kingdom of God. In the Greek, it's super, super harsh. It's Jesus pretty much saying that, like, if you don't embrace me like these kids are embracing me, then you won't get into the kingdom of God. Like it's simple, it's like this, contradic- this like, here you're apart from God, here, you know. You're with God. You're sustained. You have all these things. It's just like, where do we find that? Where do we find that balance? It's just like, embrace me like a child. Because um, like, there's a danger in like, not receiving God like a child. And there's a the danger. It's like, once we don't receive God like a child, we don't enter into the Kingdom of God. And so like, everything that the Pharisee had done, he didn't embrace Christ like a child. He didn't come with like, open hands. There's another parable of this rich dude who comes to Christ, it's in the very next section, there's this rich dude who comes to Christ, and he's just like, Christ, I've done all these things, what do I need to do to enter into the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus is like, give up all your riches. And the rich dude's like, oh, thank you. It's weird. He's like trying to make this like barter system. As adults, this is like, okay, this is the adult, this is the adult way of embracing Christ like a child. Like we create this barter system with God, just like, okay, like I have something to offer okay, like, I'm this rich dude, I have something to offer you, Jesus, who essentially has everything, and God who has everything, in which, like, I have something to offer, which, you know, nothing is originally mine anyway. He's partnering with God. And so he's just like, I have something for you to offer me, you have something to offer me, and so just like, let's engage in this partnership, not a covenantal partnership, but like, let's engage in this partnership in which um, it's give or take. Where Jesus is like, I want you to just come with open hands because, like, there's so much that I can offer you and you can't offer me anything. Like, where is your full surrender? Where is your submission um, into who I am, into who I, who I really am? And as Richard Jesus is like, nah. That's like the adult way of approaching things. Like, have you ever tried to argue with a child? Like, there's, like, there's just, like, no winning. There's no winning to argue with the child. And, like, that's the child dish. That's like the childish approach um, to embracing Christ. Because it's just like, you're not giving anything to God when you're constantly saying, like, okay, I'll give you this much. I'll embrace embrace you in my relationship when I'm down. Or I'll embrace you when I'm up and I'm prosperous. I'll embrace you when it's convenient at church. Or I'll embrace you when it's at work and then I'll go to church as an obligation as a Christian. That's how, like, that's the dope way of approaching our relationship with Christ, that's our weird like, I don't know the appropriate words to say. There's like there's like it's dumb. It's kind of it's stupid. And I realize I, I do it all the time. Like I don't allow God to just like put his finger, put his prints on every part of my life because I feel like if there's any way, if there's anywhere I got this, I got this at work. Like, I own work. This is my time to talk about myself. Like, I'm really good at my job. But the amount of times that I embrace Christ at work or I lift Christ up at work is laughable to the kingdom of God. And, like, that's where, that's that's where, like, the split is. That's where I approach Christ like an adult, versus a childlike approach to who Christ is. And then there's the welcome. And like the welcome kind of precedes everything. It's because like, the welcome essentially challenges our imagination, like our childlike imagination. And it's kind of weird, and so to have this conversation is that like, our imagine God in our life, our relationship with Christ, our relationship with the Holy Spirit, our essential use of the Holy Spirit only goes as far as our imagination goes. And so like if we believe, hopefully we believe, maybe we believe, <laughs> that God is the creator of the universe, that the cosmos, that the gnats, the mosquitoes, the annoying coworker in cubicle seven is the creator of all things, that he 's the Father of all things, that He is all things good, right? We believe that. Like it's easy to say, because like we've been taught for so long that God can do all things through Christ with, I can do all things with, through Christ which strengthens me. me. Um, the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is the same power that lives in me every day. Like we can quote those things, right? But like our relationship with Christ and the things that Christ can do in our lives um, is so limited by our imagination. And here's what I mean. James 4, 2. I'll give you some time because like, I didn't preface you at all. James 4, 2. This is a, I'm only reading a small part of it. You have not because you ask not. You have not because you ask not. And so my conviction is that I don't pray for my grandfather very often. My grandfather is this super, 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 super healthy dude. It's like super weird. He's cranking out 87 this year. Congratulations. It's kind of weird. Because like, he just lives life. He just had a knee replacement. And two weeks later, he's trying to walk without a cane. It's weird because (laughs) he's 87. But I very seldom pray for him. um, Because I find myself in these moments where I don't believe that he will understand the beauty of Christ, that he will understand who God is. And so my imagination, sometimes, I've become better at this, but I have to be reminded through, like, the goofiest things. My imagination, oftentimes, is so limited that my grandfather can't see um, the beauty of God, the beauty, understand heaven, and have, like, a shifted focus of what the church actually is. Because he's 87 years old, and he's lived 87 years of his life without understanding who God is, without understanding who Christ is. And so, am I to hold my hope on the last 87 years of his life being godless, not understanding the gospel and the Holy Spirit, or can I just have like this super crazy imagination that God's going to do something weird um, in my grandfather's life. That's why our imagination is challenged by this thing. That's why the rainbow soup is so weird, because in this text, Jesus embraces these children as He's telling the disciples, if you don't receive me like these children are receiving me, then you won't enter. And so please, like, change your perspective. Have a Christ, have a childlike approach to embracing me. Expound your imagination. Back to the rainbow soup. I'm talking to Sebastian and I'm just like, did you have a chance to taste the soup? He's just like, no, it was only in my imagination. And like, I was like, oh shoot, it was only in my imagination. I was like, okay, so like, what lesson did you learn? next time I'll have real soup. I'll go make real soup. Like that's the lesson that he learned, is that through his imagination, something real was sprouted. I wish he would learn not to spray <laughs> sunscreen on $40 water bottles, but like through our imagination, allow the reality of the gospel to remain true Um, and be challenged um, and constantly expound on who we are, who we are in Christ, um, and begin to submit to His authority um, and His unwavering love in our lives. (laughs) Dear God, just thank you so much um, just for this church community. Um, But Lord, I just pray that you constantly challenge this church community uh, to be more than just a community. Um, I just pray right now that We continue to find growth um, in our identity in you. And Lord, I just pray right now that our imagination is just challenged. Awaken our wonder um, and just awaken the falsities that we um, believe about your people. Um, And let's just expand your kingdom. Let's continue to have fun. In your name we pray. Amen.